As we begin this uh, Christmas season, the sermon series, uh, we're going to be walking through the book of Luke. And so I invite you to go ahead and turn there while I begin to set some things up here. The book of Luke, uh, you can turn there in your Bibles or Bible apps. Uh, so how many of you all already have your Christmas decorations up? Anybody got some Christmas? We got, we got a, ooh, a handful. Okay, okay, we got some procrastinators in the house. All right, we got, anybody have, uh, have Christmas lights up as well? Yeah, okay, we got a few of those. Yeah, some of the husbands are still grumbling. She made me do it. I have not yet gotten mine up. My wife really loves Christmas lights and on the house, and so, Lord willing, they might happen tomorrow. Pray for me or Jane or however the Spirit leads you. Um, but uh, one of the things we love to do is to go around and just uh, look at the Christmas lights. Any of you guys like to do that? Isn't that fun to kind of see what people have done? Of course, if people don't put up Christmas lights, there ain't no lights to see, right? I mean, somebody's got to do the job, right? But isn't it fun to see that? It, it's, there's something special about light, right? And about light shining in darkness. There's something profound. We know that. It's more than just this artistic, you know, display kind of thing. There's something spiritual we know about. There's something in our soul that resonates like there is something life-changing about light shining in darkness. As I mentioned earlier, as you began the service, in the Old Testament portion of the scriptures, hundreds of years before Jesus even came, there were these words, these prophetic words, these, these, these breaking in moments of God into history saying, something's going to happen. I'm going to change the course of history. I'm going to intervene. I'm going to save. I'm going to redeem. I'm going to restore what I created, what's broken. I'm going to do it through a person. Isaiah, uh, in this time of the year, uh, has many of those prophecies, of which I'm going to read one. Isaiah 9, verses 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. They are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in the battle of tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is a passage of hope. Hope in the nation of Israel at this time. They were being threatened by other nations, being 
overthrown or overcome and then, and then as a people group taken out of their nation as prisoners of war, we call, calling it exile, taken into exile into a whole other nation. So it would be in the majority of the kingdom of Israel or called the northern kingdom. This was a very dark time, losing their, their own sense of independence, becoming slaves. But that wasn't the, the biggest problem. The biggest problem was how they got there. It was the darkness inside them that, that they continued to rebel against the one who chosen them, who provided for them the God of the universe who said, I'm choosing you as a nation to show all other nations I'm the one true God. I'm their Savior. And you rejected me. You've turned aside to all these other worldly options for pleasure, for wealth, for prosperity, for sex, all these things that are temporary, you've turned aside from me. And God spoke, even in the midst of the darkness, I'm working. I'm working. I'm coming. This is one prophecy. There's over 300 prophecies of Jesus Christ that were fulfilled. I'm going to step aside from, 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 from the emotional side of things to an intellectual side of things. So just bear with me and think through this in a moment. For one of these prophecies, 700 years prior to Jesus coming, for one to come true. People have, uh, have done the mathematics on this and different odds and probabilities. Of what would it be like, likely for, for, for just one of these to come, through, come, come, come true? It's like the odds of one in 300,000. We take eight, just eight of these significant prophecies. It's one times 10 to the 17th. That's a lot of zeros. A lot of zeros. The probability of just eight coming through. There are over 300 prophecies of Jesus coming. Hundreds of years. We're not talking like a couple years. This one that we read this morning is 700 years prior to Jesus coming. Consider the significance and the weight of Jesus fulfilling this. When we're in darkness, when we're in suffering, we have a hard time believing that God is working. We have a hard time seeing that He is at work. We have a hard time knowing that, that there's something on the other side of this pain, on the other side of this valley, on the other... There, we, we can't see, right? We get stuck in the valley. And we're tempted to make significant conclusions about who God is in this life when we're in the valley. And when can you see the clearest? Is it in the valley or on the mountaintop? And we're so moved in these times. What makes this time of the year so special is because light shined in the darkness and it keeps shining in today. Let me pray. And we're going to jump into Luke chapter 1. Holy Spirit, we just ask for your breaking in this moment into our hearts with your light. Lord, the... the we're just not showing up here. It's just not another Sunday. It's just not another Christmas, Lord God. But, but the truth, Jesus, 
the significance, the wonder of history, the greatest event in human history. The evidence that, that, that not just a good guy came, but God came to us, God. Oh, God. Break in. Break in, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I'm incapable. I'm incapable of doing the work that only you can do. I need your breaking in, Jesus. Work in me. Work in us this morning. In your name I pray. Amen. Luke chapter 1. Luke says this, starting off, setting uh, his whole history of Jesus. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that have been taught. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here, but this is significant. What Luke is saying is very simple. This is fact. This is fact. This this isn't legend. This isn't something that, that a little bit of history with a whole lot of mythology mixed in in order to make Jesus a whole lot bigger deal than he actually was. This is fact. Fact. That over 300 prophecies, hundreds of years before, were perfectly fulfilled by one man. That is completely improbable fact. Providing evidence that demands a verdict. What are we going to do with this? These are facts of Jesus' coming. Friends, we're not here for fairy tales and fantasy that we show up for once a year, every year, talking about Jesus being in a manger and those cute little lambs that we're going to see our kids represent and singing about. Talking about the feel-good lights and the Christmas and the mold wines and the hot chocolates and the peppermint candy cane. No, this isn't just fantasy. This isn't fairy tales. This is reality. And our soul hangs in the balance. And Luke says that you might have certainty. What do we need when we're in darkness? We need certainty of hope, don't we? When we're in darkness, we need certainty of hope. Because what we feel is the only thing certain is that this darkness will never end. Luke continues on, beginning in his attempt to provide an orderly account of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. In the days of Herod, verse 5 through 7 here, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he and a wife... He had a wife from the daughter of Aaron, daughters of Aaron, excuse me, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren 
and both were advanced in years. Luke sets the stage here. Darkness. There's many layers to this. We're drawn into a particular story, Elizabeth and Zechariah. And we see here, Elizabeth and Zechariah, we're getting a little background. He's a priest. Uh, uh, and not only that, uh, but being a priest didn't just make him a great guy because we know that there are plenty of people uh, in the religious uh, 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 occupations and vocations who are corrupt and evil. But it goes on to, to clarify, he's not just a priest. His wife is in the line of Aaron, the first priest, uh, but they were both righteous before God. Meaning they, 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 they were faithful in following God's paths. Not only that, but they were blameless. Luke goes, goes above and beyond to be very clear. This was a very real and authentic relationship with God himself. Not merely just the rituals that they would follow in the prescriptions according to a religion, but they had a genuine relationship with God himself. This beauty of, 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 of this couple that's, that's set up as, a, as, a, as a, an example is then starkly contrasted with, they have no children. They have no children. She's barren. She's been barren for a long time. Likely, Elizabeth and, and, and Zechariah are like in their 60s. They're older. They, they, they've gone with this suffering. The last a couple of weeks back, I, I alluded to Jane and I's own struggle with infertility and multiple miscarriages uh, and, and, and the blessing of God opening the doors with adoption to bring Xander into our family. And we know that there are many stories of miscarriages and lost children, even within our own church here, and longing arms that long to hold and care for a child, Elizabeth and Zechariah. Share in that pain. But it was unique. It was unique because at that time, it was believed that if you did not have children, it was because you were cursed by God. You see, we don't have that kind of social stigma around the difficulty of having children and infertility. or We don't have that kind of stigma. You see, if you look at verse 25, talking about Elizabeth, she, she says that the Lord has taken away my reproach among people. And Deuteronomy explains in the law that, that those who were childless, that, that they were cursed by God. So, so naturally following a primitive, very oversimplified form of logic, well, they're barren, they don't have children, they must be cursed by God. Something's going on. There's some sin hidden there. Something's, we all love a little scandal, right? Not true. Not true. They're victims of this injustice, this evil of sin in this world. Why are bad things happening to good people? That's a question we, that comes up for us in terms of how do we make sense of, does God really exist? Because we have certain kind of expectations of what this life is supposed to be like. In a sinful, broken world, where we have brought sin into this, it's riddled with evil because we have brought it into the world. Not because God is not sufficient enough or big enough, but because we wanted to be separate from God. We wanted our own leadership. We wanted our own rule. We want our way. 
And when we brought that into this creation, it brought evil and injustice. And it didn't just tear the, the, the fabric of our souls. It tore and infected every element of creation. Disease, death, discord, there's conflict. All these things are now infected in the very fabric of existence of creation down to our DNA, which is no, it's not perfect. We're born to die. We're born with, with, with deformities. We're born with being incomplete. We're born being broken. Elizabeth and Zechariah are, are victims of this darkness in this world. Things aren't right. They won't be right. They will never be right in this world because sin is in this world. But God's evidence isn't about what happens in this world. His evidence of his existence and his goodness and his power is by sending his son to break into this darkness to take it on himself. Zechariah and Elizabeth's darkness was only evidence of a greater darkness at work. When it talks about in the days of Herod, king of Judea, Herod was, was propped up and purchased by the Romans. The Israelites, 700 years previously, had been invaded by the nation of Assyria, the northern kingdom taken, the southern kingdom, Jerusalem and Judea, taken 150 years later by Babylon. They lost every sense of freedom that they had had for over 700 years. They've existed as slave state to other nations. The Greeks came in, just desecrated and destroyed their temple and their practices. The Romans came in and occupied. They've never been their own people for over 700 years, but they've been promised a king would come. But darkness reigned for over 700 years. Anybody imagine? Can you imagine being stuck that long? We're stuck in darkness for a couple years, for 10, 15, 20, 30. A whole nation, generations. But that darkness of oppression and occupation of Israel was just part of a bigger issue. Israel was looking, we need a king to come to lead us in a revolution. To politically and nationally set us free. That's what they thought that God was going to give them. National freedom, political freedom, to restore their identity as a nation state. But the problem was deeper. The problem was our soul. God had never intended to establish Israel for the sake of Israel. It was always for the salvation of all people. So the one to come that was prophesied was not to save Israel from the Romans, but to save humanity from our sin from the occupation of ourselves, from the rule and oppression of our own tyranny. We are our own worst enemies. The darkness of our souls is the greatest darkness. That's the setting. That's the condition. So join with me here. We jump into verse 8. Now, while... Zechariah, being one of the priests, was serving 
Before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son. You shall call him John. And you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from the mother's womb, from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will be go before him in the spirit of the power and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah. And they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went on to his home. In this long passage here, we now have God's intervention. Zechariah, just going about his business. This was a routine thing. His, his group of priests, it was their time for them to serve. Zechariah was chosen to go in and bring incense before the Lord. This is one of the very serious things because you're in this what's called the most holy place of the temple. This is where God's presence uh, was, was uh, manifested there. Uh, it, it, it was of a heavy burden. This high priest, if they were to go in, they needed to make sure that they were properly uh, clean, both ritually but also in heart because in the presence of the holy God who created all things, who's perfect, you could die. They had a rope attached around the foot of these high priests in order to drag them out if they didn't make it. Talk about feeling a little bit of the weight. Going in, guys. Pray for me. Magnifies the whole tension of when people are waiting. Why is it taking so long? Do we need to pull on the rope? He goes in to offer incense, and all of a sudden, he hears a voice. Now, this would be really awkward. There's no one there except you and God, and then you hear a voice, and it ain't your own. Something's going on, and it's not because of the incense. He hears a voice, and it's from a messenger of God, an angel. And and you hear Zechariah, he's troubled, verse 12, uh, fear fell upon him. Oftentimes, when you're in the presence of God himself, uh, sometimes people do die. 
It's a holy thing. It's a, it, it, it's a high thing. God is a holy God. We miss that in our culture. We're, we so minimize God in his presence and his glory. Fear fell on him, but the angel said, do not be afraid. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Isn't that amazing news to hear that from the Father? There's so many prayers that you have lifted up. And to be able to be affirmed, I'm hearing you. I'm working. Isn't that, I mean, just the amount of relief. And I think some of you just need to know and you hear, like, God, God is hearing you. One of the things that's present in this passage is he's working. It's not in our time, right? It's not in our time. God is hearing you, and he's working. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife will bear a son. He goes on to explain within this, this son, it's more than just a son. It's more than just the miracle that they've been bearing. They're in their 60s. She's, pre- she's going to be pregnant. She's not pregnant yet. She's going to be pregnant. That's a big deal. They're going to have a kid. She's old. Like that well's dry. It's more than that. This son, this child, there's something significant about him. He won't just bring them joy. He will bring others joy. In fact, not only will he be just a great man before God, but he is there to make ready for the Lord, his people, to prepare the way. His son. will be a, like a herald announcing the king is coming. In the medieval times, a herald was sent ahead of royalty, king, either with a message in battle to, to, be, to, to be a communicator on the behalf of that royalty or to go ahead in advance to, to get preparations. If, if the king was going to be coming into a community or visiting a community or passing through, the herald would go ahead and, and they would make a proclamation and there, would, there might be trumpets and they had this really crazy looking garb that they'd wear, be pretty ugly in today's times. But, you know, people's attention, they'd be gathering and let them know, everybody, the king is coming. Prepare the community. When I was in college, we had the President of the United States come to Kearney, Nebraska. We knew about this a year in advance. So we would prepare for his coming. And then the Secret Service came. And they made sure that everything was prepared for the President's coming and he wasn't going to be killed. And they sought out all the the, the, the vulnerabilities to make everything right. But there was the proclamation that preceded the coming king. John is that. Not only is John that, that but, but his, his very birth is, the, is a sign God is doing something. When you look through human history, there's clusters of miracles that happen around God's breaking into human history. That he's doing something special to move redemption forward. That he's accomplishing great things. Clusters of miraculous events that begin to happen. The birth of John to a 60-year-old couple 
is one of those things. Now look at Zachariah's response. Not only would they have a child, but they would have a child who would prepare the way for God's Savior. Zachariah's like, thank you. This is amazing. I believe you and I trust you completely. Right? Is that what it says here? No. No. Zachariah, with all this, he is having an angelic visit. I don't know about you guys. Anybody, anybody here had any angelic visits? Anybody? Wait, nobody? Hmm. That's a pretty special thing, right? You would think that an angelic visit would be some pretty significant evidence that God is, God's doing something pretty awesome here, and that's enough evidence that what he said is it's going to happen. Well, Zechariah, not quite convinced. And so he, he, in verse 18, responds, how shall I know this? Now, that might seem like on the surface in our English language here, uh, uh, um, like he's just, he's, just being, he's just being curious. But there's more to this. And we see this in the response of the angel. The angel says, you do not trust. I'm an old man. My wife's advanced in years. How shall I know this? He's asking for, I need some more evidence. Like, you need more evidence than God's angel coming and talking to you in person to tell you that you're going to have a child. You need some more, more evidence. And the angel explains to him, I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God. I was sent here to bring you good news. And you could have said, thank you. But instead you said, do you got a, you got a little bit more you can do for me to just kind of prove that this is going to happen? And he says, the evidence, I'll give you a sign. You're not going to be able to speak. That'll be your sign. Until your son's born, you're going to be mute. Because you didn't trust me. The great thing is, when God is working, you can't undo God's plan. Even with our unbelief and our sinfulness and our distrust of him, oftentimes we think of God and kind of this karma kind of thing that, well, if I, it, it, I could mess things up for God's plan uh, if I don't do things just right. And, and we get so focused on us. God, God is God, and he's going to accomplish the plan regardless of our sin, regardless of, uh, of, of our faith or how much or how God's going to accomplish his purposes. And that's good news, amen? You see, John came... Not because of Zechariah's faith, in spite of it. Now, there's consequences we miss out on when we don't trust God. There's consequences we experience in this life here and now when we don't trust his care and provision, that he's working in dark places. You see, they didn't have a baby yet. Elizabeth wasn't pregnant yet. They had to trust The angel was evidence. The herald. It's coming. It's kind of like when you go to Hobby Lobby in July and you see Christmas. It ain't Christmas yet. But they got all the Christmas. It's coming. It's the evidence that it's coming. But it ain't here yet. 
Zechariah did not trust. And because he did not trust, he did not experience the joy of, of, of God working in the moment without his, the evidence available to him, to his senses. We oftentimes want God to work certain ways, right? We expect him to come in a certain time, in certain methods. We have an already prescribed method. There's this old joke of, of uh, um, uh, this gentleman who's stuck in a flood, and we've had many of these recently, like in Kentucky recently, and he's on the roof of the house, and he's waiting to be rescued, and, and there's a, 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 a couple that comes up there and out there in their canoe, and they're trying to provide some help for people, and he's on his roof. The, rise, the waters are rising, and they're like, hey, we've got enough room. We've got a life jacket. Come on, hop in, and, and he's like, thank you so much, but God is going to rescue me. I know God is going to rescue me. Thank you. And they keep on going. And, and, and then there's the, 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 the Coast Guard that comes on in a, in a, in a bigger boat and, and to rescue them. And, and, and he says the same thing. Nope. God's going to provide for me. God's going to rescue me. And then a helicopter comes. And like the water is up to your knees. Like you're going to die. Take the rope. Get in the helicopter. I know, I trust God, and he's going to rescue me. He's coming. And he declines. Well, the dude dies. He drowns. And he gets to heaven, and he asks God, where were you? Why didn't you rescue me? Well, I provided you a canoe, and then I provided you the Coast Guard. Then I provided you a helicopter, and you all said no every time to my provision for you. That little joke or anecdote is, is, is to hit to that point, oftentimes we have these prescribed ideas of how God ought to work for us. When he's always working around us, he's providing for us. But it's not in our way, it's not in our time. And we overlook how he's already worked in our lives. And we're not, gra- we're not thankful because we're looking behind, beyond them in order for something that we, in our minds, prescribe that this is how God should work. And he's doing that right now. He's already done it. And we won't receive it. And we miss out. The story goes on here. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach among people. Elizabeth and Zechariah, they conceived naturally. It's very important that we understand that. This is very different than, than Jesus. They conceived naturally. But the miracle was they're 60 years old and they conceived naturally. My wife is praying, Jesus, have mercy. Do not let me get pregnant. I'm 45 or 46. Something. Lord Jesus. 60. Ladies, can you imagine? She says, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. 
You have seen me and you've provided. Her response is so different than Zechariah's. How will we respond? The light has shined in the darkness. This season every year is so significant in reminding us of history, of facts. It's important that we know this, that what we're talking about, Jesus is coming, God, God, God becoming a human being, not a human being coming and doing good things. God becoming a human being. The importance of understanding this is factual history. Is because in our darkness, we are tempted to believe lies about God and about our circumstances. When we're anchored in these facts that are bigger than our moment, it reminds us we have hope. We have hope. If he came once, whatever this darkness is, even if it lasts for my lifetime, it won't last for eternity because he secured eternity for me because he came. He took my punishment. He took my sin. I deserve hell for eternity. When we stand in these truths, these historic facts, it helps us transcend our dark moments. And then all they are are moments. He's working. And when we grab the big picture, we can then see he's working in the little things. We won't miss it like Zechariah. When it's right in front of our face, we'll receive God's work around us, even in us, that he's suffering. He's doing something inside you. He's doing something good inside you, even in the suffering. It sucks. It sucks. It's horrible. It's painful. And it ain't right. And that's the purpose of the cross. It's unjust. But he's redeeming it. He's working in the moment. When we get the big picture, we can see it in the small picture. Will we receive it? How will you respond with what you see in front of you today? And imagine... Elizabeth, who knew her scriptures well, she would read them over and over and over and over and over. And I imagine Psalm 113. I imagine her singing this song, because it's a song. In these five months, as she kind of recluded and just enjoyed God's gift, Psalm 113 says this. Praise the Lord. Oh, praise, oh, servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. It may not be in your way. It may not be in your time. He's working. He's working. Will you see it? Will you receive it? Let's pray.
Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you for the evidence in your scriptures, in your texts, and in history. Lord, to anchor us when our emotions abandon truth, when our emotions are like a roller coaster, you tether us with the truth, with the facts of your work for us, of your working for us. If you did it once, you are doing it, and you will do it again. Lord, as we take in this grand, majestic truth of 2,000 years ago, you've, you've worked, you've provided, you showed you showed us yourself by becoming a human being. You saved us from ourselves. May we take hold of that in our darkness. Lord Jesus, may we rejoice like Elizabeth as we see you working in and around us, even in our darkness. May we, Lord God, may we not be like Zechariah. May we not may we not be so arrogant to distrust you and only trust ourselves and only trust our senses. Forgive us, Lord God. Forgive us. Lord, help our unbelief that we might receive your work, that we might see your work, that we might rejoice even in darkness, even in pain, even in hopelessness, Lord. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, as this is our last week in, in uh, uh, November here and with Thanksgiving, uh, for those of you who are regular attenders, you received an email or a notification letting you know that we, we would be having a time of sharing in Thanksgiving uh, to close out our time. And so I want to open up our time here and open up the mic. If uh, any of you have... Uh, Anything you want to express thanksgiving for? Any testimonies you want to share of God's work in your life? Okay, all right. Oh, there we go, Jose. Takes a little while for the introverts to warm up. Hi, um, as you all know, the whole appendicitis thing, right, uh, happened around two weeks ago. And then um, Noah got RSV and an ear infection and a strap infection. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it was like a little more of a trifecta there for him. Um, nonetheless, um, I mean, Christy, I'm so, so thankful for my wife and how she stood up and my in-laws coming and, and helping and, and all of you as well, because we were not only cared by our biological family, but by this family with your prayers, with your help. It was, I cannot be more thankful. Mm-hmm. So I thank you. Thank you for that. And, um, yeah, we felt loved and cared for. So we appreciate that very much. And. Yeah, thank you so much for that. 
Thank you, Jose. So good to have you back, brother. Amen. Others. I know we've got uh, some of the men from the men's retreat that were impacted pretty deeply as well. Feel free to share about that. Any others? Anything to give thanks for? Clarice. Camera's not going to get this one. All right, Clarice. When I was much younger, I was kidnapped. And the fellow was a Satanist. And so I had lots of problems. Um, I was gone for quite a few years from my family. When I was reunited with my family, we, I don't know how to put it. There was just like such a loss we could all feel. I can't describe it, but anyway, through all the hardships I went through with that fella, um, God shown me a lot of different things in my life, and I'm grateful to be alive, mm-hmm. very grateful. So, someday I'll talk about it more. <laughs> I, I just want to say, you don't know how much courage it takes for Clarice to share what she just shared. That Praise the Lord. Thank you so much. Wow. Praise God for his provision. Wow. There's... Courtney. I know. I took them my class week too, but um, I'm just really thankful for my cousin Lucas and Priscilla. They're all the way here from Uganda. Ooh, yeah. All right. And they're just really special to me. And um, they're, mm. they have their two of their children here with them. Um, so I'm just thankful for how God has taken care of them and mm. how he's brought us together. Praise God. Amen. Woo! Others. Yeah, Jake. Um, Hillary and I are thankful for God's kindness in um, blessing us with a, a baby. So, woo! <laughs> she is twelve weeks pregnant. So, just prayers there would be appreciated. Wow! Wow! So, wow! Yeah, God is good. Amen. Amen. Uh oh. I'll stand up. I'll, I'll come forward. <laughs> you haven't seen me in a while. I've been MIA. Um, work has consumed my life uh, for about the last two years. And I'm thankful for Jake and the team that Scott and him threw together for the men's, uh, men's retreat they had last week. What an awesome time it was. Uh, first off, thanks for, thanks for doing that. I needed that. It was a, it was a breath of fresh air. Um, so, man, I want you to come up. I want you to share a little bit. I shouldn't have to be the first, but I'll do that. Um, <laughs> failure. As men, and I shared this at the event, at the event, as men, 
Failure is a big deal. Failure is uh, probably what drives me more than not. And uh, when somebody comes and says, you know, this is, this is a big deal, and uh, your job depends on it. Um, you know, everybody is watching every step you make. It's, a, it's one of those things where, you, where I, I take that, and, and that's from, from my personality type, that's a challenge. I pick it up, I put it on, and away we go. Um, it's a battle. It's, it's what men, men strive for. Um, at least it, it's what drives me. That has taken me away from my friends, my family, and this body here uh, that you allowed me to be part of the elder team at one point and, and lead. I want you to know it's a, it's a big deal for us as men to, to look into what we're doing and recognize how we are living and leading and representing Christ. It's a huge piece. The workplace is a, is a great place to live, and I, I represented Christ every day in that workplace. But yet that didn't mean that I was necessarily living for Christ, living living out my life and, and, and reaching out into other people's lives and building up, building them up. It's part of our role. It's who we are. It's how God created us. Um, this is what we, we were made for. And I encourage you to step in to that role that God has given you and, and lead and walk in a manner that's worthy. Another place in Scripture it says, let's act like men. Let's do that. So thank you, and let's do that. Amen. Thank you, Mark. Others, you want to share in terms of Thanksgiving or testimony? Ron. Kind of what I liked about what Dave was saying um, as he led us through is he would, his positive attitude and just in, inviting God every day into his life to get up and say, what do you have for me today, you know? And we may need to look at our lives and not think so much of our work and everything around us, but we're here to serve God. And how can we best serve? And the stories he shared about, he'd do that and how God just worked schedules out to meet people, and, and he was just sharing about Jesus all the time, really, to just bring him to faith. He has brought so many people to Christ just because he's open to doing that, asking God, how can you use me? You know, What do you have planned for today? So I challenge you all to do that. What do you have for me today, God? Awesome. Thank you, Ron. Dana? I'm thankful for you, Pastor Scott mm. and Pastor Jose. I'm just thankful for your teaching mm. and for your support and for your um, spiritual leadership and um, your care for your flock. And um, so thank you for all the work and leadership and spiritual guidance you give us. I appreciate it a lot. Thank you. 
Dana Bean. So uh, I just want to be uh, tell you I'm thankful for a, uh, a loving and understanding wife, first mm -hmm. of all. But then uh, I'm also thankful for the uh, men's accountability group we have on Wednesday mornings because I want to piggyback off of what Mark just said up there a little bit ago. Um, how, you know, us as men, failure is, is uh, one of our key things that drives us. Well, I got this is one of our downfalls. We talk about this a lot in accountability. So um, for men to just sit there and say, I got this without God's help, it's not going to happen. So I just want to say I'm thankful for you guys for mm -hmm. constantly reminding me that, that we always need to lean on God and each other. So that's all I got. Thanks, brother. Amen. Yeah, Joanne. I'm thankful for nine and a half years of cancer free. Woo! But in a weird way, I'm also thankful for the cancer journey. Amen. It brought me so much closer to God. And me and Brian. Amen. Praise the Lord. God is working, even in our suffering. Amen. I'm missing somebody. Oh, Rita. Well, Phil might not like me doing this, but I just thought of it. Uh, we made a quick trip to Rochester uh, Friday morning. He decided he didn't want to try it Thursday night, and then neither did I, but we left at 630 Hadn't got there plenty of time for an appointment to have look at a drain he's in in, in his pelvis for um, three weeks now. 25 days, he said. <laughs> and uh, said he learned the new version of what a pain in the butt really is. <laughs> and uh, anyway, um, uh, they took it out. And uh, last week, they didn't. And... Uh, draining fluid that had been infected and they wanted to make sure it was gone from his surgery and Jen came Saturday morning and then told her that and talked to her and she said so when's your next appointment and we looked at each other for the first time in four months we don't have one we don't have one so thank you for all your prayers Amen. Amen. And, uh, and just uh, we praise God Amen. for that God is good, amen? He's working. And these testimonies in others' lives are a reminder God is working in our own, even though we can't see it with our senses. 